You are listening to the Indie Game Development Podcast Show, sponsored by CurioSoft Kids Games and the letter E. Visit the Indie Game Development Podcast site at www.indiegamepod.com. Thanks again for listening to the show. This interview is inspired by a quick meetup at the Game Developers Conference. Okay, I'm at GDC, and with me is a special guest. Uh, how about you introduce yourself? My name is Michael Thornton Wyman. I'm the CEO of Big Splash Games. And um, what types of games do you make? We're focused right now on the casual games market. So we've done two projects with the publisher here in San Francisco, Play First, Chocolatier, and then the sequel, Chocolatier 2, Secret Ingredients. And what type of game is it? It's kind of an economic sim light. So it's um, at its core, it's an economic simulation. And uh, myself and my team, we have pretty deep experience in making larger scale sim games. Um, but uh, we kind of tweaked and tuned this one for the casual market. Yeah. Um, what what type of larger types of sim games have you made? And like, how does that contrast in you know into developing a sim for the casual market? Right. Oh, that's a good question. Um, try to answer it briefly. Well, two of us worked at Maxis together for about five years um, in, the, in the early 90s, and then um, uh, and then we were also at, at Lucas Learning and doing uh, you know CD-ROM-based uh, simulations for more of the um, hardcore audience, and then trying to kind of take that um, the core experience of building a business and acquiring capital and using the money to continue to expand your business um, and bringing that to um, to the casual audience was really a mostly a question of tuning, um, you know, and, and just making sure that kind of onboarding players into the experience was uh, relatively pain-free. Um, it's pretty hard to fail um, and early on in Chocolatier. And I think with Chocolatier 2, um, we tried to ramp up the challenge a little bit uh, based on feedback. We had seen, you know, that after the first couple of hours, you know, money was kind of irrelevant and so on and so forth, which is kind of, um, you know, the nature of the beast when you've tuned it to be that, that easy to pick up and play. So we did try to do some things in Chocolatier 2 to kind of keep that challenge ramp climbing. Uh, what did you do to 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 keep it still engaging? So, um, the what, what goes on in Chocolatier is that um, you you cruise around and you collect ingredients, and then there's a mini game where you assemble chocolates, and then you sell the the finished products to get more money to travel more and get more ingredients and so on. So one thing one of the things that we did in Chocolatier too, we really uh, tweaked out the mini game from level to level, so we made it much harder to make more stuff um, by just altering the layout and, and kind of bumping up the challenge there. We also, as you move through the game and you get to later and later ports, uh, we kind of ramped up the pricing on some of the ingredients, and that just by its very nature made it harder to be able to get a lot. And, and you know, it, money didn't become irrelevant quite as quickly. Yeah, I mean, how do you deal with the challenge then of money becoming irrelevant? And does that even matter in terms of this game and the casual audience? Yeah, that's a really good question, too. I mean, I, f I feel like one of the things about making games for the casual audience is um, it's a pretty wide spectrum, you know, and especially now you're seeing much more and more sophisticated. I think Chocolatier is very sophisticated for a casual game. But at the same time, you know, you don't want to kind of lose that general um, kind of uh, every person kind of audience. So, you know, I would always rather err on the side of simplicity, and um, I mean, I, f I feel like I would rather have someone put off by having too much money than put off by being too hard for them, um, for this market. So, um, 
No, but it's a good question. I mean, I think it's something that you struggle with. It's like you want to keep people engaged. You want to make sure that they're continually challenged, but at the same time, you know, I don't want to just throw someone overboard. As you started the first game in the series, what were the concerns or challenges of developing for the casual game market? We were pretty laser focused on the conversion rate. Um, we all came from uh, more kind of a non-casual game background. So I worked at Electronic Arts, and I mentioned Lucas and, and Maxis, and one of my partners was at Sega for a long time. And, um, and so we really were pretty honed in on um, the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay of those first 60 minutes. I mean, it's a real challenge. You give someone, like, when we first started, it was like 60 minutes for free. I mean, that's a long time. That's a lot of the game. Just making sure that we were scripting the experience um, in, in a conscious way. So we kind of wanted to know what was going on after 45 minutes or 50 or 55 minutes. And I think we built in some um, personalization and ownership features as well that I think also really helped uh, kind of drive that conversion. Um, so that, that was a real learning experience for us. You know, it's kind of a, new, a whole, new, uh, whole new target demographic and market. So when you initially finished the game and you wanted to, um, or were you constantly testing the conversion rates while you're developing the game? Um, I mean, how did that process work? Yeah. Um, so the first one, you know, we worked with Play First, our, our publisher, and I think that's really what they brought to the table as their expertise, both in kind of the market um, and demographics, but also they have a pretty formal testing program. So they put our game through um, their first peak program and they sent it out to you know, hundreds and hundreds of, of basically controlled beta testers. And then we mine that information that comes back. It basically collects a lot of data from where people are running into problems, where people are quitting. Um, and we also did formal usability testing using an outside, an outside company. And that's always uh, sobering, um, but uh, instructional, um, just sitting there watching real people. You know, it's one thing to have m my wife try the game, but it's another to, you know, go see some perfect perfectly strange, a uh, perfect stranger without any investment, you know, getting stuck or something. And um, so, yeah, there was, there was quite a bit of, of testing, I think, that really helped smooth out the process. Uh, yeah. um, were there any surprises as you were getting the feedback? I mean, were there any specific situations or places where you had to be like, oh, wow, I totally missed that as a game designer, but we have to change it? You know, more... More so was the feedback after the game was shipped. I was really surprised by some of the things that people responded to. Like, for example, in Chocolatier, people were just really engaged with the characters and the story. And, um, you know, the first time through, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, I guess we should have a story, you know, um, you know, how do we tie this all together? But then, you know, just the overwhelming kind of uh, um, enthusiasm for that part of the game really informed our design decisions on Chocolatier 2. You know, we, we really started that project from the story perspective, and I think it shows it's, it's, it's more tightly integrated and it just it hangs, together, hangs together better. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that was the most surprising thing. I don't think there was too much in testing that, um, you know, really threw us for a loop. Now, you know, coming, back, coming from a simulation background, what inspires you to add personalization and some of these other things that are really resonant with the casual game audience? Again, I think it was thinking about um, how do we make people feel invested. I mean, in a way, it's the nature of a sim. You know, you feel like it's my company. I'm making all the decisions, and it's, you know, turning. It's, it's my baby. So I think we just wanted to play up that, and you know, we have pretty extensive sign maker. I don't know if you've seen Chocolatier too, but um, 
we really kind of blew that out and some of the tools we turned over to the player to make their own signs and um, it, it just kind of fit with the package and fit with the um, what we were kind of going for with, with that genre of game. Yeah. Um, were there any other surprises while you were developing the game and any other issues that you had? Huh, surprises or issues. Um, no, you know, it, it was fairly smooth. I, you know, I've been through a lot of a lot of development cycles, and I would say this one was fairly smooth. I mean, I have a really senior team, so um, John Blossom, who's our, who's our chief technology officer, and Stephen Lewis is our is our art director. Um, these guys, we've all been working in games for like 15 years, and I think that uh, we all know each other pretty well. Um, so, yeah, I feel you know, knock on wood, you know, there there weren't too many uh, dramatic surprises along the way. I don't know, it just kind of once we kind of hooked into this concept of doing a simulation, but also doing the production part of it and tying it back together, um, yeah, it, it flew pretty well. Let's transition t into uh, designing a simulation. What do you think, like as a designer of, of a compelling simulation, what do you think is needed to make a simulation actually resonate with the audience? Well, I think we benefited a lot from our theme. You know, chocolate is something that's uh, enjoying quite a bit of popularity and in increasing popularity these days. So I think that, and, and we did a ton of research. We um, we went on a factory tour of chocolate makers, did tons of reading, historical research, and that kind of stuff. I think comes through the game too and helps to engage people when it's you know coming from a from a realistic place. Um, so you know, I think um, again, part of it you kind of get as a freebie because if people who like this kind of game, they they, they feel invested because they feel like they're doing something that's theirs. Um, and so combining that with, you know, we, we also wanted to make sure it was lighthearted and it was kind of wacky and, and, and funny where it could be. Um, I think all these things kind of tied together. Try to, again, bring that, you know, economic simulation on its face is not something that you would think would be fun for a casual audience, right? So um, just trying to do what we could to create one that was. Do you have to have a lot of dimensions of variables and factors and models to, to make a simulation effective, or does that even matter in the casual game space? Oh, it totally matters. I mean, you have the same issues of tuning the game, right? Because it's like everything is kind of tied together, so you tweak a little lever here, and then, you know, it's like the butterfly flapping the wings yeah. across the world. And, you know, so you have to leave a lot of time towards the end of production to make sure you're you're able to tune in an appropriate way. Yeah, we definitely find that. You know, you would just change the price of one ingredient. It's like, oh, that really messed up this whole series of quests because now, you know, I need more money to do it. And, you know, so everything's kind of interrelated. And uh, so that requires quite a bit of uh, careful attention. Yeah. Well, yeah, how do you deal with that tuning if you're going to just even modify one thing is going to break the whole system? Yeah. yeah, really carefully, right? I mean, you have to... Um, and and you definitely have to rope yourself in too towards the end of like you know how important is it to make this change um, because there are going to be ramifications and also testing a game like this you know it's it's such a long game and everything kind of builds on itself so then I would always feel like okay well I have to start from scratch I mean even if I change the price of one ingredient how's that going to affect the overall amount of money that I have and so then it's like okay I got to start again and you spent a lot of time testing yeah. Um, so where do you see now the future of where your studio is going to go in terms of game development? Well, we're um, 
We've enjoyed working with Play First, so I think we'll, we'll probably continue to do some stuff with those guys. And we're also working on uh, another project that's uh, not an economic simulation. It's something totally totally new and different, kind of putting our, our twist on a different genre. So that's so exciting. We're kind of in an advanced prototyping phase right now, and uh, maybe we can talk about it next year. Um, yeah, do you have any suggestions then for other indie game developers who want to develop for the casual game uh, market or audience? I think there's a real hunger for innovation. I mean, I think there's just so much copycatting going on, and obviously this is not, I'm not the only person saying this, but I think, you know, casual gaming is still, I feel like, a place where you can, for relatively low risk and overhead, try out a bunch of different stuff. And the publishers are hungry for it. You know, there's so much content coming out, but there's so much copycatting going on. If you can come up with something new and different and, and you know, and prototype it. Another thing is, um, Related to prototyping, I've just found that even with our team, you know, you go down a path and it should be fun really quickly. Yeah. You know, they're supposed to be a simple game, supposed to be a simple mechanic. So if you're prototyping something and it's not capturing you, probably heading in the wrong direction. And, you know, it, I, it should be fun within a week, you know. And, I mean, it sounds kind of harsh, but if it's not, you know, maybe try changing gears. Yeah. Can you talk about your prototyping process a little more? Um, exactly what do you do? Do you just um, spit out prototypes and test them out, or is there a process, and do you have to, do you work on multiple types of prototyping projects at the same time to give you different lenses and perspective as you develop? Not really. I mean, we're a tiny shop, so we're, we're not really set up where we could have different teams working on, on different prototypes. We generally have a kind of a, a running stable of ideas that we've talked about over time. So we'll be kind of like deep in the trenches in Chocolatier 2 and, and, you know, just for fun, kind of pull up and brainstorm on some concepts and stuff. And then, you know, when we, when we shipped the second game, we kind of took a step back and, and started thinking about which concepts had the most traction. And then, you know, it's basically focused on, on one prototype. And like I said, you know, kind of go down a path for a little bit, but, but be ready to just bag it if it's, not, if it's not panning out and trying something else. Has there ever been a situation where it wasn't working out and then even after two or three weeks of persisting it did work out? Or do you just, it's just better to just nip it in the bud and then move on? Yeah, it's a hard call to make. But there really, there really ha hasn't been a time where, you know, where we like so all of a sudden turn the corner, something that's not working just starts working. It, it, it tends to be more like let's take a step back, let's simplify something, or um, you know try a different spin on it, and then and then all of a sudden you're like oh hey, and I I can always tell with with the engineer right, because um, when when you're gonna sit down and put the effort into it. You know, if you've got a good engineer and we've got a fantastic engineer, then then they're going to want to make sure that it's something engaging that they're working on. They're going to want to waste their time, yeah. right? So I kind of find sometimes like I'll be pushing for him to do something, and he won't do it. And after a while, like there's probably a, probably a good reason for that, you know. So it's partly just kind of keeping your ego out of it, I think, and um, and uh, trusting that, like I say, these these need to be simple to learn, um, so they should they should capture you quickly. Yeah. And what, what is the benefit of going through a publisher as compared to just self-publishing? Um, yeah, well, there are trade-offs, you know, and I think for, for our next project, we're kind of trying to do some due diligence on that and talking to other small developers and figuring out what different folks are doing. I mean, the, the nice thing about working with someone like Play First, they have great relationships with all the portals. So, like, Chocolatier came out, and, you know, it's exclusive on their site for a while, but then 
like literally within a month, it was up on Real Arcade and Yahoo and MSN and all the Overon sites and Pogo and you know, and then it starts climbing the charts on Logler and and made it to number one. And um, so you know, trying to do that yourself as an independent publisher, you can kind of decide where you want to put your energy and effort. And those are you know probably like 50 different deals that they've got in place. So. Do you want to spend your time making a fun game, or do you want to spend your time, you know, talking about contracts with 30 different companies? So, um, but then, you know, to, to grow and to, to sustain it, you know, eventually maybe that is that is the way to go. But for us right now, you know, we don't really want to like have a QA department. We don't really want to do like a, a you know, a, a high score server stuff. You know, we just want to be focused on the creative implementation because I think that's what we do best. Yeah, what are the goals of your studio then for the future? Um, yeah, I think we're going to, as I say, stay small. Um, we're all having fun making games together. And um, I think if we can start to generate some intellectual property that uh, accrues to our studio, um, uh, and uh, I don't know, you know, maybe um, try to ramp up a little bit at some point and work on multiple titles or... Uh, um, and I think we're going to kind of let it grow organically. Uh, and like I say, as long as we're kind of having fun together, making games, and um, and we can sustain it, um, then then we're uh, we're pretty happy with it for now. Thank you very much for your time.